Ah, look what Terry did to me. He's such a jokester. Good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, and I am also the Chris in the Chris and Carrie Show. The Carrie in the Chris and Carrie Show is right there to my right. You might hate say he's my right-hand man. Hello, everybody. It's Carrie from the Chris and Carrie Show, and I'm not at the Whistle Stop Cafe. I'm in Calgary, and we're reporting to you live, as we always do, or at least most of the time we do live. So, Chris, what are we what are we talking about today? Let me uh, let me put you on the spot. Let's talk about basements <laughs> and rednecks. <laughs> that's that's funny. There was a comment made uh, earlier this week about uh, my basement, and it kind of looks like a redneck basement as opposed to having like a brick wall or something like that. So we've been uh, teasing each other all week about that. <laughs> yeah, and it's been awesome. It's been great. But tonight, uh, it's a more serious tone to our little show that we're doing. Uh, tonight, we're going to be speaking to one of the commissioners from the National Citizens Inquiry. And if any of you don't know already, um, you can actually open in another browser window on another monitor so you don't have to uh, leave, leave your attention from us. Go to uh, uh, look at the nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. Uh, there's a lot of information there. So what happened was... Uh, it was a group of grassroots citizens who formed a panel and went across the country speaking to people and getting their sworn testimony about how the uh, COVID pandemic, including the restrictions, the mandates, all of those things, and COVID itself, affected their lives. And uh, the commissioners of this initiative, they took, I believe it was 300 and, I want to say 347 uh, witnesses, and they compiled the information into a report and the report basically outlines what happened, what went wrong, what we could do better and how we can do it. So we have tonight with us, uh, Mr. Ken Drysdale. Ken Drysdale, uh, he was one of the commissioners and he's actually uh, a pretty interesting fellow. He's got a, a day job that, that, that made him perfectly suited for this role in the NCI. So that's who uh, we're gonna be talking to tonight, but also like we want to do most of the time, we're not only going to talk about the problem that we saw over the last four years, but we want to offer up a solution and give people some hope in that, uh, you know, if they get involved, then we can we can do better next time. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we're doing tonight. Yeah. The uh, the so the end, the, the NCI final report was delivered uh, past Tuesday, the 28th of November. And uh, it, I, I forget exactly how long it was. It was probably about an hour and a half of uh, testimony by the, the commissioners. And they presented their final report. And uh, it, it for some people, it was dry. And for me, it was riveting because it just showed how many cracks there are in our system and what people need to do to to solve this problem. Um, they, were, they, were, they were brought up. They were talking about healthcare. They talked about... Uh, things that happen in the background, they and and all of that stuff came out of this one report. And I believe, and Ken Ken's going to tell us exactly what's on there. But I believe they came out with like eighty recommendations, or maybe no, it was eighty pages. I think of recommendations, so that you can well imagine. Yeah, yeah and it, and it just it it went on and on because that's what we need to fix. And even as it is, I'm just going to put this back up the page. So the uh, the full report is 5,324 pages long. Good grief. That would, yeah. If you start it now, I'm not even sure how long it would take you to do that. But that's a lot of information that needs to be digested, talked about, and uh, and what a better guy to talk about that than with Mr. Ken Drysdale. We'll bring him on right now. 
Yeah. Good. Uh, good evening, Ken, and welcome. Good evening, Ken. Good evening, everybody. It's good to be here. Excellent. Thank you. And and thanks for taking the time out to to do this. We we know you've been busy this this past week. You seem to be on every podcast I've been uh, looking at talking about the report, and uh, and really just trying to let Canadians know what it was about and where do we go from here. And I think that's kind of what we want to talk about with our viewers as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And also uh, one other thing, Ken. So this comes right on the heels of uh, the Alberta government's uh, report from uh, the Manning report, coincidentally, uh, Preston Manning did an inquiry in Alberta. So if you don't mind, uh, can you just explain to folks what the NCI is and how it differs from what we did in Alberta here? I know you've, you've gone over this a few times, but we better get that out of the way before we start. Yeah. Yeah. The, the two aren't related actually. The um, national citizens inquiry had um, a non-restricted, very broad um, mandate where we could look at, we could look at whatever the witnesses testified to. So we had over 300 witnesses. I think it was 304 or something. Uh, of those, about 150 or 160 were experts, you know, like the uh, uh, researchers, doctors, psychiatrists, uh, financial people, etc. And so whatever they testified to, and they were able to testify whatever it was they experienced. So our, our mandate was that broad. Now, as I understand it, and I'm not, I'm frankly, not that familiar with Preston Manning's um, uh, assignment, but my understanding was he, his assignment was quite narrow, and it was to look at the laws that were used in Alberta during the mandates and how that, how, how that could have been done better or how s certain laws could be changed. So it's a completely different mandate between the two, and the two organizations are not related at all. Um, so about the National Citizens Inquiry, you're absolutely right. What it is, it's um, it was put together, organized, funded, run completely by volunteers. Um, and the the costs of it were, paid, once again, paid for by the Canadian people. We had no funding from pharma. We had no large uh, donations. We had no government funding. We just had funding from, from, from ordinary Canadians. And we started in Truro, Nova Scotia. And we went to eight cities across the country from coast to coast. We ended up um, in Vancouver, and each of those, um, each of those um, a day, each of those cities, we we spent uh, three full days of testimony. And I can tell you, some of those days went on for twelve and fourteen hours, uh, one one witness after another. Um, so our our mandate was very broad. And as a result, our report is very broad. It covers a, a huge variety of topics. So that, yeah, that, and that's what you said about the uh, Preston Manning report with the Alberta government is exactly correct. So the Alberta government did an inquiry as well, but it was related to uh, how the government acted and if they could have done anything better. So uh, the difference yeah. between the Alberta inquiry and the National Citizens Inquiry is like apples and oranges for sure. Oh, so again, why, why were you chosen as a commissioner? Uh, I mean, I see you have lots of leather bound books back there, but what was the, you know, what's the, what's your experience that, that suited well, you for this role? Well, you know, it was kind of an interesting process for me anyway. Um, as you, I think you may or may not know that about a year and a half ago, I did an 89 page statistical analysis of all of the numbers that Statistics Canada was reporting concerning mortality in Canada. Mm -hmm. And when I completed that report, and that was just simply a look at the numbers, there was no opinion in there. There was 
I went to Statistics Canada, I got their numbers and I started to analyze them. And I started to, for instance, look at your odds, you know, your odds of death, regardless of COVID and then your odds of COVID. And what I found was shocking, you know, so, so shocking that I turned that report into a, into a criminal uh, complaint to the RCMP. I remember. Um, yeah. And originally it was just, you know, there was three or four of us who were helping to get it out there and we sent it to all the RCMP stations in Manitoba. And then somehow it caught on with Canadians and it's been copied, sent out somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million times around the world, by the way. Wow. Yeah. So, so that, that gave me some notoriety, although it wasn't a biased report. So it didn't, it didn't bias my ability to be a commissioner. And so what happened was, and it's, it's kind of funny, I, out of the blue, I get a call from this guy by the name of Sean Buckley, and uh, he starts talking to me about it. And he says, Ken, did you have some kind of a trouble with your computer? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, half the information on your application is not filled out. And I said, well, that's interesting. I never filled out an application. <laughs> and so uh, when we, we did get to uh, doing the cross-country uh, uh, um interviewer hearings there was a lady i can't remember her name and red deer came up to me she hugged me and said you're here because of me i was the one that i was the one that put the application wow <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> sorry i'm trying to keep my voice going here yes well you've been talking all week so, <laughs> so what, what kind of things do you do in your civilian life that uh, kind of prepared you to do something like this i mean uh, sure anybody can go and pull numbers off statistics canada but not everybody can put those numbers and formulate it in such a way that it tells a story. Well, I've had an interesting career. You know, I've been a professional engineer for over 40 years. Um, I've worked all around the world, uh, Egypt, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia, um, uh, uh, Austria, all throughout the United States, Canada. And I, um, about, oh gosh, when was it? About 1997, I started a, uh, multidisciplinary engineering firm, and we specialized in the high Arctic. So I, I, I have invented a bunch of things. I've run multidisciplinary um, engineering groups. I used to do, or I still do actually, a lot of forensic engineering. And what forensic engineering is when something falls down, blows up, breaks, or doesn't work, you know, they'll come to me and, and it'll be up to me to try to determine what happened, why it happened, who's responsible, those kinds of things. So, so that background of dealing with multidisciplinary uh, projects and dealing with them remotely, because this ended up being remote, uh, and having the mathematical and project management capabilities was, a, was really what they needed. Uh, you know, I remind you that there were four commissioners and mm -hmm. they, were, they were chosen with different expertise and they were chosen in different geographical areas. There was um, Heather DiGregario, she's from Calgary, she's a lawyer. There was Janice Kikokoen, and she is in Ontario, and she deals with disadvantaged children and social issues, education system. And then there's Dr. Bernard Massey, who is a, um, he's a retired researcher from NR NRC. So we, we couldn't get more varied than that and mm -hmm. got it as, as geographically spread out as we possibly could. And that worked out well. I attended the, the hearings in Red Deer, and I testified one of the days as well. But one thing that really struck me as uh, awesome was that the questioning from the different commissioners was so different. Uh, but the, the beautiful thing about that is it really opened up a lot of issues and, and uh, brought a lot of things to light that maybe people wouldn't have thought of. So that was that was really in incredible. So, yeah, um, that was, 
it was an interesting process because, you know, sometimes one of the things I've learned, I learned with the 89 page report, you know, sometimes uh, people who are in professions get, get insulated in their little bubble, you know, their little technical bubble. And what I learned during the time that I had the 89 page investigative report out was a lot of times when you used even what what you thought was a, a, a common term, a lot of times folks didn't understand. Yeah. So if you remember a lot of the questioning I did is I keep going back over and getting the witnesses to tell me exactly what DNA was or what exactly uh, this other term was. And, and, uh, and I was, what I was trying to make sure is that folks understood that one, for instance, when, when, when we had Dr. Laura Braden, testifying in Truro on the third day of uh, hearings in Truro. Um, you know, obviously she's a researcher and she was using a lot, a lot of terminology. So I would go back and I would say, just exactly tell me what DNA is yeah. <laughs> and what exactly is this? What exactly is relative versus absolute efficacy and so on and so forth. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, you had to be cognizant of that. <laughs> and fr frankly, sometimes I didn't know what they were talking about. So I was asking the question for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, after all of that work, what did we find out? Oh, gosh. You know, I have to admit my, my naivety, or maybe it wasn't naivety, maybe it was arrogance. When I went into this thing, I thought I knew a heck of a lot about what happened. You know, I didn't. You know what, we've got, we were talking about the size of the report, and, and I'm going to get to that. I don't want people to be put off by this ginormous report. Yeah. But 643 pages are the guts of the report. But the real meat of it is in Section 8. And Section 8 is just a listing, one after another, another of the recommendations. And, I th and there's like 400 recommendations, you know, 80 pages of recommendations. And they're grouped mm -hmm. into uh, in areas of interest. First, they're grouped into four different broad categories. And then each of those categories, what you've got in front of you right now, as you can see some of the headings there, as you go down, you'll see uh, in yeah. blue headings. And, and it'll just give the, the, um, the listeners some idea. For instance, that one right there is labor law and failure of the unions. So we did a whole analysis of it. And again, this section eight is just a listing of those recommendations. So mm -hmm. the way I suggest people tackle this report is first off, I say, Go to the nationalcitizensinquiry.ca website. Go to the hearings and pick three testimonies. I don't care which one. There's three over 300 testimonies. Just pick three from whatever location and watch them. Then that is going to, you, in those three testimonies, I guarantee they will change your life. And so now you go back to the report <coughs> and you go to the table of contents and just look at, look at section eight. And let your eye go down the list of the recommendations in Section 8. And when you see something you might be interested in, for instance, Chris, you might be interested in coercion or you might be interested in emergency planning. And you can see all of those different things listed there. So what mm -hmm. my suggestion is to people, once you've watched the three testimonies and now you're inspired because you will be, go and take a look at the table of contents on Section 8 and pick out some things that are of real interest to you. And then first, just read the recommendations in each one of those sections. Yeah. For instance, you've got one up there now, which is a COVID impact on social fabric. And there's recommendations. 
And you can see that the next heading is the effects of government pandemic measures on faith communities. So you can see that it's only four pages of recommendations there. So what this does is it first, it gives you areas that you're interested in and splits the darn thing up into bite-sized pieces. You know, a good, a good friend of mine, Chris Riddell, always says, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. That's right. So, that before. Yeah, it's an old one, but it's a good one, and it applies to this. <clears throat> so, and then once, for instance, if you take a look at, um, I'm not suggesting you do it right this minute, but if you look at, yeah. say, 8.27 is the COVID impact on the social fabric, and yeah. you go in and read the recommendations in there, then what you can do is you go to Section 7, and there'll be an identical section there instead of 8.27 COVID impact on social fabric, it's 7.27 social impact on, and, and what that section seven does, okay. it, it gives you the reasoning behind all of those recommendations. So we talk about what the issue was, who, who, who testified about it, what the testimony meant, um, what does that mean to us? How did that affect Canadians? And then we do some conclusions and then we do a recommendations. And those yeah. recommendations in section seven are exactly the same as they are in section eight. It's just that in section seven, you get more meat and you know, well, why yeah. did the commissioner say that? Well, it's all there. Yeah. So so that's how I'm telling people to go through the report. The the front section, <coughs> the front section of the report, it's in the um, the report itself is in three volumes. Volume one is essentially an executive summary. It talks a little bit about the pandemic overall. It gives objectives of the of the inquiry, et cetera. Section, um, and then we get into volume two, which is section seven, section eight, nine, 10. And mm -hmm. it includes all of the reasoning behind things, all of the recommendations. We do do a significant message to Canadians at the end, which is in section 10, I think. I just got to look here. Um, recommendations is eight. Uh, here we go. Conclusion is section nine. And then there's a commission's commissioner statement in section 10. Now, section volume three, which is the largest piece of this document, it's uh, about 5,000 pages long. Those are actual transcripts <clears throat> of the, of the uh, testimony. And they are split up uh, into, <coughs> they're split up into, um, well, you can download Volume three all is one file off of mm -hmm. our website, but it's about, I don't know, it's 80 megabytes or something. So we've split that up as well, and we split it into nine segments. Uh, eight cities we went to, plus another another segment on some virtual. We did three virtual hearings in September. So it's split up in a real logical way. You may or may not ever open up the transcripts, but when you're reading our reasoning, and you're looking at what we're talking about on a particular subject you're interested in, and you might want to refer to the testimony to see exactly what that person said, you know, mm -hmm. for yourself in their own words. Yeah. Yeah. And people can also watch it, watch the actual live video on our website too. That's right too. So it might sound, it might sound daunting, but really folks, it's not, if you, if you approach it, like I said, one little bite at a time, find the things you're interested in, in the table of contents, you know, the table of contents is a heck of a tool and just go to section eight in the table of contents and look for things that you're interested in and start that way. Playing devil devil's advocate here. How would you respond to somebody who would say something like, well, Ken, you know, this is cute and all, but we were in a pandemic and the government did the best they could. 
And if they hadn't done what they did, we would have lost millions of lives. COVID killed millions and it was all justified. So what are a bunch of anti-vaxxing, anti-masking kooks uh, doing running around the country doing this? Well, you know, it's a, that's an interesting question. There's a lots, lots and lots to say about that. First off, you know, we had applications from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Canadians across the uh, across the country, you know, and, and, and but we only had space for like 300. And these mm -hmm. people came forward on their own time. Some of them are world-renowned experts in epidemiology, world-renowned experts in statistical analysis. Um, and I think is very, very telling. We invited, we actually sent subpoenas to, I can't remember the number. Um, I want to say it's like 60 people in the government who actually had planned or executed yeah. and none of them, none of them showed up. So if there was nothing to hide, why didn't they show up in front of Canadians? You know, we were watching, we watched by millions of Canadians. Why didn't they show up and defend what they had done? But they didn't, they hid. So, so that's part of it. Again, part of it is we, we don't just, we don't give you your, our opinion. What we're doing is we're using cold, hard facts. For instance, there's a section in this report that has to do with the way that the vaccines were authorized for use in Canada. So this is not subjective. It's not my opinion. We actually have all of the laws and the rules and everything they did taken from their website. And I say they, I mean the government of Canada's website. So what, one of the things people don't know is that, you know, often Canadians get mixed up by the Americans. You know, you, you have this 350 million person country just below us and they're they're making a lot of noise so people canadians sometimes get confused in canada the vaccines weren't approved under an emergency use order like they were in the states what they did in canada is they had what's called an interim authorization so the vaccines were never approved they were authorized now under the regular food and drug regulation there's a whole list of things that a new drug has to satisfy. And one or two of those is safety. They have to prove objectively that it's safe. And they have to prove objectively that the, yeah, there you go. They have to prove objectively that it's what its efficacy is. So what the interim order did was it turned that objective proof to a subjective proof. And what do I mean by that? An objective question and answer is, what is two plus two? Of course, the answer is four. A subjective question is, how do you feel about two plus two? Mm -hmm. yeah. Big difference there. So what they did was they changed the requirement to prove that it was safe and effective. And they replaced it with, <coughs> you just have to provide enough information that might lead someone to be able to say it's safe and effective. That's a whole different matter. Now, so that's how they that's how they authorized it for use. Now, that goes right in the face of their Health Canada's December 10th, I think it was, announcement where they said it was safe and effective yeah, and it was right. rigorously tested and it's being monitored. Now, the other thing people don't know about that, this is, um, you know, the interim order had a, a finite life. And when it was over, like when the interim order expired, what they did was they permanently rewrote the food and drug regulations to allow COVID-19 vaccines not to have to prove objectively that they're safe or effective. They're the only ones in there. You can go look at the regulation. You can look. I think there's links in the, in the report. So, and can you, can you say that one more time? I, I hate to make you do that because I know you're having trouble with your voice, but say that one more time because what you just said 
is absolutely critical for people to understand for the rest of this conversation. Yeah. So the government, what they did was they changed the requirement for proving that the drug was safe and effective from an objective test. In other words, it's got a, it's got a specific question and an answer. Is it, is it safe? Yes. They changed that into a subjective test, which says, could it be safe? Could you conclude with the information they give you that it might be safe? And as long as they satisfied that, it got approved. And then, like I said, they authorized it in an interim order. And I think the interim order had a 12-month lifespan. And then what they did was they actually changed the permanent law. So if you go to the Food and Drug regulation uh, uh, Regulations, they're on. you can get them online on the Government of Canada. And you go down and look at the requirements, you'll see that they've actually exempted COVID-19 medications from proving safety and efficacy, which is completely different than what they told the Canadian people it was. Yeah. Now, so you folks, can go... Let me just interject for a second. If you want to know about Health Canada and how they do some of these things and what Health Canada's role in your health is, I'll give you a hint. There is no role in your health. Um, go back or go on the ChrisandCarrieShow.com website and you can go back a few weeks. We did an interview with Sean Buckley, who was also, uh, he was lead counsel for the NCI. And Sean does a bang up job of explaining Health Canada's role in this and how these things work. So when, when you're done watching this one, Go back and watch that, and it'll give you some more context and some more uh, insight into how this all works. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it's really incredible. Now, having said that, and ha and then making sure people understand that when they call this thing a vaccine, it's not a vaccine. It's what's called a biologic. They changed. You probably heard on the news that well, they changed the definition of what a vaccine was. That's well, right. Well, that is true. They didn't change it once. They didn't change it twice. They changed it dozens of times. And, and it's amazing if you go and look at it, you, you, what you can do is you can search on the internet for CDC's um, definition of what a vaccine is and it'll pop up. But then you take that address, you go to the Wayback Machine. What the Wayback Machine does is it records websites as they were on the day that it looks at them. Yeah. And if you look on that Wayback Machine at the top of it, there's a, little, there's a little bar. And every time they change that page, there's a little line. Go try to count them. And, and as we were in the pandemic, it was changing constantly, like bing, 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 bing. And they were caught. Every time something happened, like they found out that it didn't prevent spread or it didn't do this, they changed the definition of vaccine. And the reason they did that is because, you know, if they call it a biologic, which is what it is, it'll scare the pants off of people. They don't want to take it. So if you associate it with something that people know and trust, like a vaccine, then then. It, it, it makes people comfortable with taking it, you know, and, and the other amazing thing about this was it was it's an mRNA technology, which has never been successfully used in humans before. As a matter of fact, a lot of the animal trials showed that it killed killed the animals. But having said it was a completely brand new technology and by the way, a very complicated manufacturing process. They oh there you go way back machine my folks can see what I'm talking about there right at the top look at all the changes yep. look at all the changes wow yeah. yeah and they were changing when you get into the 2023 it's amazing you know a news article yeah. would come out about uh, it, that it didn't prevent spread and then the and then the the definition would change well it doesn't have to prevent spread it's just incredible so when you heard on the news well they changed the uh, the definition of vaccine look at how many times they changed it. Particularly in 2020, 2021, 22, and 2023. That is crazy.
So where I was okay. going with this is, so they introduced, so they introduced this brand new technology. And they not only said to you, well, you know, you can try this if you want. They said, guess what? We're going to fire you from your job if you don't take it. We're going to kick mm-hmm. you out of school if you don't take it. We're going to lock grandma up in isolation if she doesn't take it. And even if she does take it. And so you would have thought that brand new technology, they're forcing you to take it, that they would have a, a real um, in-depth, careful monitoring of what the heck happened with it. And they didn't. We had testimony from doctors who were trying to report uh, vaccine injuries and the system wasn't working or they got fired. There was one doctor, at least one doctor in, in, in Nova Scotia, I believe, who he reported, I can't remember how many vaccine injuries in the end, they fired him, <laughs> you know? So, and then doctors were saying, well, you know, such and such a, 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 a side effect that you're reporting has nothing to do with the vaccine. Well, how the heck would they know that when it was a brand new technology that was never even tested for more than a couple of months? You know, I, I can't remember who the witness was, but we were talking about the length of time it was tested before it was released in the public. And I'll go by my memory and it's, it's Advil um, affected right now. <laughs> but but um, I asked the question, it was, they tested it for, I think, two months or three months. So I asked one of the doctors a question. I said, doctor, do you remember thalidomide? Mm-hmm. And he said, absolutely. Well, thalidomide, for the viewers that don't, aren't as old as I am, it was a drug that was given, recommended and given to pregnant women. And it caused massive deformities in babies. And, of course, after, the, after a while, it was pulled off the market. But it was, kids were being born without limbs and all kinds of things. And so I said to the doctor, I said, they only tested this two months. Let's pretend they tested it on pregnant women, which they didn't do, by the way. But let's pretend they tested on pregnant women. If you tested thalidomide for two months, would you know it did birth defects? Of course, the answer is no, because they weren't, you know, it takes nine months to have a baby. And I and I further asked a different doctor about something similar. I said, well, if you tested cigarettes for two months or three months, would you know they cause cancer? And of course, the answer is no. But the big difference here is that smoking cigarettes is a choice, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But this was forced on you. It was forced on you. And it didn't. In the original testing, and this is all in the report, by the way, and it's in, and we give the evidence, the, the detailed evidence, and shows it you. But when when they did the original testing of the vaccines, they only used healthy people. They didn't use aged people. They didn't use pregnant people. They didn't use children. They just used healthy people. So they had no idea when they sent it out how it would affect old people, people with existing problems, those kinds of things. And they only tested it for a couple of months, and they did no cancer testing, no genetic testing, no genotoxicity testing, nothing. And, and, and so we, you know, when I'm saying this, and, and I guess I'm answering your question, Chris, in a long, long about way, but what we, what we have in that report is not opinion. We have the documentation. Mm-hmm. We have the testimony of people who went through it. We know yeah. what they did to them. You know, Alberta Health was, a, was an especially grievous uh, organization during this whole thing. Hmm. Can I ask, uh, Ken, if, if are, were there, um, other countries that did similar NCIs or, or something that some reporting that looked back on, on how the government and how maybe medical intervention was done in their countries. Do you know of any, anybody, any other place? 
Well, I think that's an excellent question because yeah. it leads into something else. Yeah. Uh, to our knowledge, this has not been done anywhere in the world. Uh, something something is starting or has been underway for a while in Britain. But, you know, when you think about it, we went on the road interviewing people in March of this year, and we delivered that report with thousands and thousands of pages in, in November. Yeah. I would like to see I would like to see a government royal commission do that. You know, you'll be waiting for 25 years for that. That's true. That um, is true. You know, the, the, there was another part to that. I've just kind of lost my train of thought, but... Um, about other countries yeah we're not aware of it happening oh i remember what it was so having said that having said that we did something in canada that's never been done before in the world and we prepared a document which which is almost an encyclopedia of what happened yeah. with thousands of pages of testimony at sworn yeah. testimony so how come the cbc didn't cover any of this <laughs> how come the cbc didn't show up for the launch how about no mainstream media has covered this? I've been watching, and, and and I think there was one tweet on that, and it was the NCI came out with their uh, results, and that was it. See and that. yeah, and yeah. it's been ridiculous because this should be this should be on everybody's mouth, and it's amazing how many people I've talked to at least this week. Oh, the NCI came out. The National Citizen Inquiry report came out. Did you read about it? What's the NCI? What's the National Citizens Inquiry? Yeah. Not a clue. Not a clue. Well, you know, you don't spend enough on the CBC. You know, you only spend $1.5 billion last yeah. year on the operation. Now, I have to say, and your viewers might be really interested in it, but there's a whole section on the media and their responsibility, including the CBC. We break the CBC out yeah. in those recommendations. Rodney and, Palmer's uh, testimony was fantastic. Rodney Palmer was one. The other one that was really, really good was, um, was uh, Marianne Kowak. Because yeah. at, during, during the uh, COVID-19, she was an investigative reporter with 34 years of experience with the CBC. Yeah. And she tried to do stories on it, and the stories kept getting canceled. And then instead of, you know, and she didn't do it just because she was a, a rabble rouser. She started her stories because she was getting phone calls from parents saying, is this safe for my kids? So she did a very unbiased article. CBC squished it. And then in order, in my opinion, in order to punish her, you're not going to believe this. They sent her out to cover a grasshopper infestation story. And that story went national. Grasshoppers, where she had done this whole story showing both sides of the question as to whether or not this was safe for children or not. So, I mean, and, and another interesting story with the CBC, and you, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but at one morning when the CBC workers showed up for work in Toronto, the entire front of their building had been pasted over with pictures of the vaccine injured and the vaccine murdered. And can you imagine you're a CBC worker and you show up for that and the front of the building is covered in these things and you don't say a word. There's no story on it. You know, this, um, it's interesting. People really need to read what we had to say about the CBC. Yeah. Uh, people, people have asked me many, many times, will we ever get our public broadcaster back? And my answer is no, this is stage four cancer. The rot is everywhere in that organization and it needs to be taken down. Do you uh, think that, any, do you think is, any of the reporters would have gone to their editors and said, I'm looking for to do this story. I think it needs to be out there. And the editors just would have said, no, it's not going to happen. Well, Marianne, Clo yeah, okay. Marianne, Clo Marianne Cloak detailed that in her yeah. testimony. She said that, um, you know, she had been there for 34 years and generally speaking, she would uh, pitch a story 
and then she'd have two days to go out and do it. And it would only be reviewed locally by uh, one editor and then a, a web editor. And apparently on her this particular story, it was approved by the uh, by the editor. And then the web editor flagged it and sent it to Toronto. Well, Toronto knocked it down right away and they wanted them to uh, wanted her to change it and get rid of the experts on one side and put these government um, uh, mouthpieces in it. That's my personal opinion, by the way. And um, and so she you know, and then she was punished. And so what she did was she phoned the union and she said to the union, this is what I'm seeing. Are you hearing this from anybody else? And the union rep said, absolutely. A lot of reporters are phoning in. So Marianne said, can I get their names? And the union said, no. So then what she did was she sent an email out in the internal CBC uh, mail system to all of the reporters. She yeah. got no, no response, not even a peep. Then the last thing she did is she reached out to a, a senior reporter in New York. And he said that he's seeing it all over. So these yeah. reporters were getting squished and they were being told to shut up. And, and only one or two or three of them, like Marianne Cloak and, and Rodney Palmer, and um, there was like two others that testified. I just can't think of their names right now. Mm -hmm. Out of all of those hundreds of reporters, only two or three had the guts to say anything or to, or to protest, quit and protest as Marianne did. Yeah. Well, and I remember their payments and their car payments are more important. Yeah, yeah. I remember during the convoy, I, I think that we had just met Leighton Gray. And I remember asking him, how do we go about and stop this media machine? How do we how do we sue the media? And he says, you can't sue a trillion dollar machine. Yeah. And that's the sad truth about it is that no matter what, this machine is just going to keep going and going and going. Well, it will. Look at <clears throat> Chris mentioned this earlier. We have a solution. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a solution that like that and it's done, but it's a solution that I'm convinced will work. We're implementing it now in Manitoba. And as soon as we get our template done in Manitoba, we'll be moving across the country. There's yeah. something similar going on in, in Alberta. There's a number of organizations there. There's one starting in Ontario um, and in Saskatchewan. I know there's some, but I, I don't know as much about the Saskatchewan um, story on the east coast the same thing's happening so i think it's very important you know i want people to walk away with a sense of that they can do something that they are empowered to do something they just have to think a little differently and yeah. and it will take it will take probably in the least one election cycle perhaps two um but it is such a corrupt system you know the reason this happened you know frankly the reason this happened is our fault us. It's like you took a kid, you took a five-year-old kid and put him in a candy store and then you closed the door and you walked away. You know, you come back uh, uh, six hours later and the kid's laid on the floor full of candy. You can barely even move. That's what our politicians have been doing. You know, we don't vote. You know, we, and a good example is in Manitoba, we just finished a provincial election, you know, for the provincial legislature. Yeah. Uh, so that was in October. And then there, the previous one was in 2019. So we analyzed all of the election results from 2019 and the one that just happened in 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we found was shocking. First off, in 2019, before the, the pandemic, 55% of eligible voters voted in the provincial election. Now, with everything that happened to us, with all your rights taken away, with your employer firing you, with you can't go into a hospital, you can't get health care, 
blah, 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 blah. Everybody's mad. You know, you can't walk down the street without hearing somebody mad, mad, mad. So we had a new provincial election like three weeks ago. Do you know how many people voted in that election? 55.4% of the eligible voters. It and should then, be should be 80 or 90. Easy. Well, there's some reasons for, for this, though. And we can we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, we also had, a, you know, with everything you see, all the controversy you see about school boards, right? Yeah. So we had a we had a, an election in a small city here in Manitoba called uh, Brandon happened um, beginning of October. Mm -hmm. They were electing um, a school board trustee and uh, two of them, one in the rural area, one in the city itself. So in the city of Brandon, there were thirty five thousand eligible voters. Three thousand five hundred voted ten percent. Mm -hmm. And it was the same in the rural area around Brandon. So people. You have the, the fundamental question here is why are people not voting? And and the reason it isn't as simple as you think. It, there is a lot of apathy and people feel their vote doesn't matter. Yeah. But, you know, I said that we did a, a complete numerical analysis of the election in Manitoba. And, and this, and we've got it on our website. We've got blogs on manitobastrongertogether.ca. Um, and people can just go and look at it for free or anonymously, whatever they like. Um, and so it's under the blog. And uh, what we found out was this. There's 57 seats up for grabs in the Manitoba legislature. And for folks that don't know, uh, a seat is, a rep is a, somebody that represents a voting district. And in Manitoba, those voting districts are about 15,000 voters. So 57 seats up for grabs. About 14 of the 57 went for less than 1,000 votes. Remember I said there was 15,000 voters in each one of those electoral districts? Yeah. 7,000, 7, 8,000 voted, so there's 7,000 votes laying on the table, and those people got elected for less than 1,000 votes. Another 14 or 15 got elected for less than 2,000 votes. So so clearly the, the majority in the Manitoba legislature were elected by less than a 2,000 vote margin. Some were as small as 100, 101 votes they won by. So what does that tell us? People gotta know that their vote matters. Can you imagine? There was a, there was a riding in the city of Winnipeg called the McPhillips, McPhillips riding. Mm -hmm. 15,000 voters, seven or so thousand people voted. The, the MLA got one little seat by 101 or 104 votes. Wow. Now, could you imagine signing up 100 voters, 200 voters in that district of out of 15,000 voters and have yeah. them part of an organization like Manitoba Stronger Together? Mm -hmm. And and then you go in right at the beginning and say, listen, candidate, <coughs> we represent X number of voters in your riding. This is what we want you to do for us. And of course, we all know the candidate will lie to you, right? They'll, they'll promise anything. So they'll go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do that, I'll rep And then, but the difference here is, is that we take those four or 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 voters and we monitor exactly what that, that representative is doing over the next four years. We prepare a report card. And when the election comes up again, we bring them in and believe me, they will come in when we have enough votes to control the riding. Mm -hmm. When they come in, we'll say, listen, we asked you to do this, this, and this, and you didn't. You're out. We're not voting for you this time. And, of course, they'll say, but I'm wearing a red armband or a green armband or a blue armband. You know, I'm representing the party. And we say, we don't care. I don't care what party you represent because Canadians have been 
lied to by the parties for decades. You know, it's yeah. like the shell and pea game. They're all the same. And 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 is when you think you've picked this one because it's better than that one, it's no different. Mm-hmm. You know, they are so corrupt that it's absolutely unbelievable. So the only way that you have you can you can make a change is you have to break this unholy alliance between the party and the candidate. Because yeah. the candidate has to swear allegiance to the party long before you vote for them. And the yeah. party knows you're going to vote for them. You could put a you could put a uh, you could put a chicken up there, and people would vote for him. Look at that guy in the states. I can't remember his name. Was it? I'd vote for chicken. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of times it would be better. But yeah. you know, so you have to break that unholy alliance. And once you broke that unholy alliance between the party and the lobbyists and the member, then everything else is possible. You can get rid of the CBC like that because now you're demanding it, and you have these voting blocks in every single riding across the country and Mm -hmm. believe me the first time one of them gets kicked out like this believe me they're listening to you and they'll be watching you so that's an interesting that's an interesting uh idea there so we're doing something similar in alberta and i know that you guys have been talking with uh um reps from take back alberta who kind of spearheaded this uh albertans have actually realized that if we show up when we bring enough people we'll win you described creating the parade that yeah. the politicians want to get in front of politicians these days. They're not like politicians of days gone by where they have these good principled ideas and they want to be leaders and encourage people to come with them. No, they see which way the wind's blowing and they go that direction. And yeah. so it doesn't matter if people say, Oh, we want 18 shots a year and we want to have no carbon dioxide and no energy. If that's what people say, the politicians will do it because they'll get elected. So mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're saying, no, we're going to start showing up and we're going to get involved with everything municipal politics we're going to get involved in party politics we're going to go take over agms and vote on policies one of the there's two policies that are going to go on the table next year here in alberta in the in our in our provincial uh provincial politics the first one says that mlas must vote on party policy so if as the as the party they say you know we for example the united conservative party believe that doctors should never be silenced and the patient-doctor relationship is sacrosanct and and that kind of thing, the MLA would have to vote on that. And the vote would be recorded. So if they say, we don't agree with that, then all of a sudden, the companion policy says, if the MLA doesn't uh, adhere or abide by the party policy and to the will of the people, because the party resides in the members, then they can be immediately recalled. So you know, we're, we're talking about initiatives and this, and they have a lot of similarities aligned to the same goal, which is the, the power of the people, right? Absolutely. Um, we have these initiatives that have the, they have the, uh, the capacity to change democracy as we know it yeah. and get rid of this idea that our vote doesn't matter because you know what, our, honestly, I really think if we only vote every four years, it probably doesn't matter so much because if we only engage in politics for one day out of every four years and the rest of the four years the lunatics run the asylum what good have we done but we're learning something different now oh yeah and you're exactly right and you know i'll tell you something you guys had a little bit easier row of it i'm not saying it was an easy row to hold but in manitoba we're trying to take we're trying to get involved let's put it that way with the constituency associations and the pc party Mm -hmm. of course we were leaked some documents a week or so ago uh, now, I, just so your your listeners know, 
I have a membership in the in the Progressive Conservative Party provincially. And so you think that apart from getting invited to a hundred rubber chicken fundraisers every month, that I would be getting information about what's going on. Well, we had leaked documents last week that showed us that the the uh, the management of the PC party of Manitoba has ordered all of the constituency associations to have their AGMs and their votes between uh, between now and January 15th, because the AGMs on the 15th. Now that might all sound fine and dandy, but try and find out where those are. So you go on the, and I invite people to do this. You go on the PC Manitoba website and phone the number. It doesn't go anywhere. You email it, it doesn't go anywhere. You go to the headquarters, it's a tumble down, leaning old house that's nailed, got the doors nailed up in downtown Winnipeg. So what we did was, um, oh, sorry, I, I forgot one of the really great issues here is, so we, we started phoning around. We want to get a bunch of people to get party memberships because you have to be a member 15 days before the AGM in order to vote. You have to be a member 30 days before you can run. So we have time. It's December 1st or something. So one of our guys knows one of the uh, leaders in the constituency association, the president, and he's talking to him the other day. And he says, well, I want to become a member. Oh, membership's closed until January 1st. Oh, and the AGM is what, on the 13th? And you need to be a member 15 days. And so then I got on the phone yesterday and I phoned a couple of, of high up ne'er-do-wells there. Oh, no, no, Ken. Oh, no, sorry. The other part of it was everybody's membership expires December 31st. And, of course, the election, AGM elections are the 13th or the 15th. What? Yeah. So I say to these guys <coughs> on the phone yesterday, I said, listen, this is what I'm told. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said, then how in the hell can anybody vote? <coughs> and his senior person says, well, that's a good question. So he went and talked to somebody else. He phones me back. He says, oh, well, you know. Your membership uh, goes away on December 31st, but if you join again immediately, you'll be able to vote on the 15th or the 13th or whatever it is. But, and so I immediately made a phone call to my MLA and I sent him a letter and to another uh, senior person in the PC organization. I said, listen, I, I, you know, Chris, uh, you said it yourself. You see me on, I don't know how many different podcasts in the last week. Well, yeah. I'm willing to use that. I'm willing, what I'm doing right now is I'm telling everybody, this is how crooked it is. You can't find out, even if you're a member, the only correspondence I get from them is, can you give me $135 for a rubber chicken dinner? And then maybe yeah. you can see your MLA. And and then it's it, it, the doors are locked. The membership's not open anymore because they closed it just in case, you know, people start. And there's no phone numbers, no way to get a hold of anybody. There's nothing in the open. Go take a look at the PC Party of Manitoba's website. That's how crooked this is. But I was, folks, I was just going to ask, has Jason Kenny moved to Manitoba? Because <laughs> <laughs> it certainly sounds like something that he would do. Wow. We, we, haven't, we haven't approached the NDP yet. But I, 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 maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not like that. But that's our next goal is we're going to start uh, finding so, out what the heck the NDP are doing. I need a little clarity here. When you say the Manitoba PC party, are you talking provincial? Yes. You mentioned your MLA. Okay, so this is a yep. provincial party. So yep. your provincial PC party expires memberships on December 31st. The AGM is on the 13th or the 15th? 13th or 15th. I'm not sure which. 
You have to be a member for 15 days to vote at your AGM. Yep. That's interesting. That's and I said, interesting. To them, I said to them, that means nobody can vote. And then they came back to me and said, oh, no, 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 Ken. If you rejoin right away in the first week or two, then you can vote anyway. They'll honor that. But they never told anybody any of that. And then, but like I said, they, try, will they honor it? I don't know. I mean, try to get a hold of them. Normally, you would be able to go on their website and phone the number and say, I want to be a member. And they'll, you know, they take your 25 bucks or whatever it is, and you're a member. But now we were told that they're not taking memberships anymore in December. Now, why not? Why not? We should uh, talk to Shadow Davis about that. Maybe he has a little bit more knowledge of what's going on in Manitoba and the politics. You were just there. on Shadow Shore, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, just a couple of days ago. I, I talked to Shadow all the time. I mean, there's been some, there's been some really interesting things going on over here. I um I don't know about um uh, what's the name of the power company in in Alberta, Transalta. Who's your electrical? Uh, Epcor and uh, Atco. Okay, so we got Manitoba Hydro, right? And when, right. you get, when you get your bill from Manitoba Hydro, you know, there, there's one page of bills in there. And then there's like, I don't know, a dozen little postcards in there or some crazy thing or another. And of course, you pull your bill out, you throw the rest in the garbage, right? Well, the other day, a friend of mine, I was over there at his house and he said, Ken, did you see this was in your in your Manitoba Hydro bill? And of course, you know, I throw them all out. But And I've got a copy of it somewhere here. But what they're at Manitoba Hydro, they're offering assistance to people to upgrade or replace the furnaces. Sounds like a pretty good deal. No, you know, they'll give you the money or a loan or whatever the heck it is. Oh, but <clears throat> if you're Métis, you get it for free. They'll give you a free furnace. Now, I don't know what you guys think the definition of racism is, but in my mind, the definition of racism is when you use somebody's indelible characteristics to either do something bad against them or do something that props them up artificially. And offering just because you're a Métis that you can get a brand new free furnace from Manitoba Hydro, that's racist. And yeah. uh, my, my friend actually phoned Manitoba Hydro and talked to somebody over there. And the girl lowered her voice on the phone and said, you know, you're right. It is racist. But what can I do about it? I'm just answering the phone. So, you know, these kinds of things are possible when there's nobody watching the, the kid in the candy store. You know, they just yeah. do whatever the hell they want. But as soon as you take power back, now you have the ability to bring CBC to bear, to, to mm -hmm. account. You can bring the judiciary to account. You can bring the, 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 the corporations to account because they're, they're not innocent in this either. But it's, it's down to this basic fundamental of people have to understand that their vote matters, that the hold that these parties have on power is tenuous at best. And it doesn't matter if you vote green, blue, purple, orange, red, as long as they're in this unholy alliance between the leader of the party and the candidate, you have no chance until you break that alliance. And that means don't vote on party lines anymore. You know, mm -hmm. you tell them what they want, you monitor them. And when they don't do it, they're gone. It doesn't yeah. matter what there, color they have. There is something worth messaging or messaging, mentioning. It's a little bit of an elephant in the room, although it's not an elephant in my room. Even if uh, Manitoba, BC, Saskatchewan, and Alberta all took over their federal politics and said, we want to stand up against the CBC and all of these things. We couldn't. The vote ends at the Manitoba border, oh, which that's... is why I took on a role with the Alberta Prosperity Project. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I hope that Manitoba uh, will elect, well, I guess in four years, a government that is willing to stand up against the federal 
overreach into provincial politics as the Alberta government has. Although, I mean, we're not 100% happy with what our government's doing right now because they're pursuing some boneheaded, virtue-signaling, ridiculous ideological policy. Yeah. But that's another story. Yeah. They are standing up to the federal government in some respects, as is Scott Moe. And I've heard rumblings that BC has a very uh, provincial protective movement building there as well, because a lot of these things we're seeing, Ken, like you know this, they're coming down from the federal government. They're influencing provincial politics, and we're we're suffering the consequences when the folks in the east and central Canada who make these rules never feel the consequences. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, well, yeah. it's time to stand up against this stuff. And if we got to do it as a provinces, then we we got to do it. Yeah, you know, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, when when the West starts to implement some of these things. And you start to see the prosperity. I mean, look at, you know, I, I look at Saskatchewan. My goodness. In 25 years, 30 years, it went from almost to like a nothing to a yeah. powerful economy, to a thriving community. Alberta, you know what? You guys have been plugging along really good until the federal government comes, sticks their fingers in it. Manitoba has been in a steady decline for 50 years. And I give a speech about this. And what people don't even know what we used to have, you know, we used to have, we used to shoot rockets into space in Manitoba. We had a space support. We used mm -hmm. to service all the Air Canada jets. We don't do that That's anymore. Right. We yeah. used to service all of the locomotives and trains for both CP and CN. We That's had right. high mining and smelting. This, this party politics is like a relay race to the bottom. You know, you, you pass on the baton to the next one and they keep doing the same boneheaded things. You know, I heard something the other day, um, Somebody was, I was talking about the, the proposed, what we're talking about, Western Canada, proposed pipeline from Alberta through Saskatchewan into Manitoba into the port in Hudson Bay. Yeah. Yeah. And people are telling me, oh, can you, oh, you can't do that because per, you, know, you can't build on permafrost. Well, guess what? I'm an expert in the development of construction in the high Arctic. And I'm not sure that there's anybody in Canada that has the expertise I have on permafrost. And you can do it. As a matter of fact, we did it in the 1960s when we bought, built that original railway up to Hudson Bay and, mm -hmm. and they've, they've neglected it for 50 or 60 years. And of course it's in terrible shape, but can you imagine the power that Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Alberta would have if we built that pipeline and we said to federal government, you know what you can do with yourself because we're shipping it to Europe. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. the Amer the Americans are selling their, uh, their liquid, uh, liquid, um, uh, petroleum there for 300% markup on what they were getting it from uh, in Europe uh, six months ago. And then you've got this idiot in Ottawa who thinks, oh, well, well there's no economic case for, are you out of your mind? You know, and we don't even ship oil from Western Canada to Quebec. They get it all from Saudi Arabia. How does that yeah. work? That's right. It's insane. And you know yeah, what? It works well for someone who gets very, very rich. Yeah. I mean, and, and by the way, there's no reason the federal government can't quash that because what Quebec did is it passed a law, but federal federal law can quash that and they can do uh, what's it called eminent domain and they can build a pipeline there, but they don't have the political will to do it. Mm -hmm. You mean you mean the province could do that? No, no, the federal government, like the province of Quebec, was the ones that have banned pipelines coming from the west. So oh, but the federal yeah, government, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, the federal government. I don't think the federal it. government would ever do anything to try no. and get pipelines built. You know. I mean, goodness gracious, Quebec gets um, uh, transfer payments. What? 
you yeah. know, they probably the second most developed province in the country, and they get transfer payments still. And oh, yeah. the minimum, the, the calculations don't affect them the way it does the other provinces. They get a guaranteed minimum. As a matter of fact, they also have a guaranteed seventy-five seats in uh, in parliament, even yeah. if there's only seventy-five people in Quebec. Yeah. But I just somebody just uh, they just gave an idea on how every single person in Manitoba is going to get a free furnace. <laughs> click on it go ahead yeah. <laughs> well I think of how many furnaces <laughs> well you know we also had in manitoba where um where school board trustee just got suspended for the third time and she's a single mom and that's how she makes her living and so finally she resigned but I was saying one of the things I said, well, you 2,500 people voted for her in that in that um, school board district. And since they essentially forced this woman to quit and forced her to retire or, or to resign, then those 2,500 people should be getting their taxes back because they don't have representation right now. Yeah. And, you know, you don't even actually have to do it. But if the 2,500 people in that district stood up for themselves and said, we want our tax dollars back and we're not paying it because we don't have a representative because the person that we voted in has been persecuted for no good reason. Um, these things would start to change, but it all comes back that's to the same basic thing. Folks have to stand up. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. That's an interesting comment you made there. Alberta has contributed $700 billion to Ottawa in the last 60 years for which we mm -hmm. haven't received a penny back and our voices cannot and will never change anything to do with federal politics. And I, I call taxation without representation theft, plain and simple. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've mm -hmm. talked about lots of problems here. We started on the NCI, we moved into uh, the political arena and what's going on. And of course it's a hot topic because we just watched Manitoba do a boneheaded thing. And we've determined, you've determined through your statistical analysis that it's a result, result of voter apathy. Well, so wait, 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 that's part of it. But you see, if you watch the media's analysis of what happened, you won't get the truth. I'll tell you the truth. We looked at the numbers specifically as to what the heck happened. And we compared the election that just happened in Manitoba to the one that happened in 2019. Okay. Yeah. In 2019. The Green Party got like 35,000 votes. They got like 3,000 votes this time. So 30,000, 32,000 voters who voted for the Greens voted for NDP somehow this time around. <clears throat> and the Liberals got 15 or 16,000 voters in, in 2019. They held three seats. And they lost, I can't remember, six or seven or 8,000 voters. Um, they all went to the NDP. Now, the PCs, interestingly enough, only lost about 8% of their voters. What, what may change things was all of those green voters that went NDP and all of those liberal voters that went NDP. So, so the people punished the PCs. That's true. 8% of them didn't vote for them. But that wasn't what turned the day. Somehow, everybody that voted green before, somehow all banded together and voted NDP, you know, 32,000 of them out of 35,000. Now, maybe that happened you know, legitimately, maybe maybe they planned it, I have no idea, but those are the numbers. So what the, what the media told you was that the PCs were just punished completely and da-da-da-da-da, that wasn't true. What happened What happened was is that the, the Greens and the Libs collapsed or purposely collapsed, all moved over to the NDP, 
It should have been a minority government here if it hadn't been for that 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 yeah, right. switch. So what what's the common thread here? What's the common solution that an individual can do to start turning the tide on these things? You know what? In Manitoba Stronger Together that 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 is a solution. And just before, because people are going to be asking, what does it cost? No membership, no dues, no donations. We don't we don't sell branded T-shirts, and we don't have a tax exempt status. We're a true grassroots organization. So you can join, you can come into a few of our meetings and find out what we're all about. But what we're doing in there is three things. We're creating a real community, you know, not just a community of voters, but a real community. And, you know, we've done 10 or 11 live events across the province. Uh, we just had two last week. And in those halls, people won't leave at the end because, you know, they're so excited about being there and they're meeting new people in their, in their community. And, and this, isn't a, this isn't a monolithic block of everybody thinks that's purple or that's green. This is a monolithic group who want to make a better province for their kids, you know, that want to take back control. So we don't tell people how to vote. What we do is, we, and that's the other part of it. So we're creating community and then we're educating people and we'll have politicians come in. We have a 60 minute Zoom meeting every Tuesday. We'll have politicians come in. We'll have great guest speakers who tell them about things they might be interested in. And then the third, third part of it is we, um, we give them opportunities. Like somebody might be interested in ABC, but they don't know how to get involved. And one of the great fallouts for me anyway out of the NCI was I pretty much met everybody from coast to coast. Mm -hmm. So if, you're if one of our members is interested in what's going on with voter fraud, for instance, there's a group who just started in BC and, uh, and I know who those people are and I can connect them up. So, so you know, they, 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 the biggest part is the community and then the education of the voters. And then we give an opportunity and we use the power of those voters to get these uh, candidates respon uh, responsible and to come in and actually do town hall meetings. And then we hold them responsible at the end of the day. So, so we're not just a, we're not just an organization that's for, you know, the guy that can, or the girl that can stand up and speak in public or can do research. You know, we might, if you, you might, I always tell the story, people seem to like it, but, we were in Dauphin, Manitoba one time and somebody put up their hand and said, well, what can I do? You know, I, I'm not a speaker. And I'm, I said, I bet you, you make the best cinnamon buns in Dauphin, Manitoba. <laughs> and you know what, when we have a, we have a meeting and they find out your cinnamon buns are going to be there. We double the number of people in the meeting. And you know, that really resents. Right. There's cinnamon buns, Chris. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, we were in Steinbach, the city of Steinbach uh, three weeks ago. And this has kind of become a, a thing. And so uh, ladies, I think there's a half a dozen ladies, or maybe there are eight of them, that each of them baked their own specialty cinnamon buns fresh out of the oven. And they were all lined up on there. You know, people were just heading in. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, this is serious stuff. But you have to be able to enjoy just out of, you want to be a part of it, not just to get the work done, but you yeah. want to be inspired because this is long term, you know, and you can only hold your breath for so long and stomp your feet. Yeah. So you got to be a part of a community that's doing stuff that you're enjoying and we're having fun and you're meeting new people and we do this other thing too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Keeping in mind, we just came out of a time where neighbors were phoning the police on their neighbors because 
they saw that they had their mother over for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, yep. We saw people who were actively discriminating against others uh, because of their medical choices. We saw police arresting children for the crime of playing basketball or skating on a skating rink in Calgary. We saw the city yep. of Calgary dump gravel on skating rinks uh, so that the children who wanted to go outside and do something healthy couldn't do it. Yeah. Knowing that these types of things have occurred in Canada, not to mention pastors being arrested, restaurants being chained up. Do we have time to do these things? What, what you're suggesting? Well, we, we have to, you know, because one of the things that our governing bodies forget is the fundamental reasons we're supposed to have a justice system. And I say justice system, and I emphasize that, not a legal system, we have a legal system. The justice system is a pressure valve for society. You know, if, if you do something bad against me or the government does something bad against me, the reason we don't go into revolt and get pitchforks and storm the Bastille is because we are supposed to be able to go to the court system, to the justice system, and have have a, a rule of law. And for, for people that don't know, rule of law means it doesn't matter if I'm tall or short, rich or poor, it doesn't matter if I'm going against the government or not, you will get a fair trial. And that, and But we don't have that anymore. And so the alternative to what I'm talking about is revolution. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I support everything that everybody's doing. I really do. But standing in front of a school board meeting with signs jumping up and down and screaming and then having the CBC there lying about you isn't the way to do it. The way to do That's it right. is get on the school board and take it over. Yes, and then you, don't, you, you know, it's like it's like when do you stop the horse from running away when he's in the barn or when he's already taken off and yeah. going out with signs and protesting? That's important. But it would be a lot more effective to close the barn door before the horse got out. And that's what we're talking about. So you're right. Yeah. It will take time, but it won't take as long as you think, because I can tell you, we've only been around for a short time. And when the election happened here in the Manitoba, it's amazing how quickly the parties were stealing our stuff. So I remember we let we, we, we uh, published a policy statement, had parental rights in it. And a week later, the PC party that was in power at the time had an emergency press conference. And it was so hastily put together, they did it in a city park outside. Mm -hmm. And they essentially announced our policy on parental rights. And then I noticed when the new government got in, the second, the second announcement that they put out, press announcement, was signed, Manitoba always stronger together. <laughs> so believe me. We're just getting started and they're yeah. noticing. I mean, I, I had many, I had several meetings during the election with various different party leaders in private about what do you think about this? Can we use this of yours and this and that and the other thing? So we haven't been around a lot, but they're noticing. And as soon as you win a couple of by-elections or a couple of school trustee elections, yeah, and people right. review, they're going to be watching because this is their life. You know, these are, they're, they're, this, this corners them. And again, it takes some time. But I don't think it will take as long as you think, as long as you start to get some victories. I hope so. Speaking of time, we're uh, yes. up in an hour and 15 minutes. And speaking yeah. of cinnamon buns, <laughs> I'm actually getting up at 4.30 a.m. 
so I can go into the restaurant and make cinnamon buns, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I think maybe, you know, Ken's been talking a lot, uh, especially over the last week. Maybe we should uh, let him rest his voice for the next few days. And uh, yeah, back in the barn, I, Ken, you're sounding yeah. a little hoarse. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> I know. In the barn. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you're, people tell me I usually have this radio voice, you know, like, Drysdale <laughs> <Brysdale> speaking. <laughs> it's kind of gone now. That's, That's awesome. interesting. They tell Carrie and I we have faces for radio. <laughs> uh, that's a true story too. Yeah. Well, that's all. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out, Ken. And we know how busy you are, and especially with uh, the last. I guess when did you actually get involved with the, the the actual NCI? Was that back in like February or so? Or yeah. yeah. Was, close to the end of February and then we went on went on tour right away in March so, so it's it was, been a crazy 10 months for you oh yeah oh yeah I think I, I was trying to estimate the other day how much time I've spent since February it's probably around 1500 hours something like that yeah wow um so if people want to know more about you or better yet if they want to get in touch with you is there a way that they can do that do you have a means by which they can do that Absolutely. You can just email Ken Drysdale at ManitobaStrongerTogether.ca or just go to the website and there's contact us at the bottom of the page, top of the page. Just push it and the email comes to me. Okay. And with the NCI, um, if people want to go, some of this, I, I meant to comment this earlier, but you were speaking about some of the things that were going on and had happened during the uh, COVID, the COVID years. I mean, I guess we're still in them, but, and I meant to say it's sounding like we're getting a little bit out in left field now, but I know there's evidence to back that up. Where can people go if they want to find out uh, how you as a commissioner and the other commissioners came to the conclusions that you came to? You said it before, but I'd just like to refresh people's memory. Yeah, it's it's all in the report. So the report also tells you all about the NCI in sections one through six, tells you where we sat. It told you, it gives you a little biography of myself and the other three commissioners. It tells you about the independence. It tells you how many people applied, how many people testified. Mm -hmm. That's right. The, the section that discusses why we came to the conclusions we did is in section seven of the report. Section eight is just a listing of the recommendations. And again, that's my suggestion, folks. Go listen to three testimonies. Just pick them at random, and then go through the table of contents on table eight, on section eight and see items that you're particularly interested in, and then read it in eight. And then go to seven to get all the reasonings and wherefores and whys there. Awesome. Well, I guess uh, for me, I would like to express my gratitude for you volunteering ten months of your life uh, to do that. It was a it's a very important thing you guys did, and uh, it's you know it's being seen all over the world. And I'm yeah. hoping that people take that roadmap as you described it. And they go somewhere with it because what's the point of learning from something if we can't take action and, and make our lives better for it? So th thank you very much for doing that. Oh, I appreciate it. And, and, and I, one thing I want to leave your, your, your listeners with is, you know what? Go to Section 10 of the report. Maybe that's the first thing you should do. Go to Section 10 and read the message to Canadians and the final message of the commissioners. That's really where you should start. And then go to yeah. the... Um, go to the recommendations but i think it's really important that folks folks read those two statements they they you know they're at the back of the report and they might be missed but i think they're some of the most important words that canadians will want to hear after coming out of this thing 
And you can also, uh, at the nationalcitizensinquiry.ca website, you can go and you can watch the live testimony of the experts who were giving yeah. their testimony. I made a comment earlier saying, well, Ken, all these kooks talking about these things. No, these aren't kooks. These are they're professionals and experts in their fields giving sworn testimony. So, you know, take that take that yeah. for, uh, or for what you will. But uh, these are not just a bunch of anti-mask, anti-vax kooks talking about things. These are experts trying to do their jobs um, to the benefit of all. So please take the time to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, watch three of them and you'll never be the same. Uh, that's a big, big claim, but it's the true one. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, Carrie, have you got, you got anything else? No, not not for Ken, but I think uh, Chris and I are going to stay on and just make an announcement after this. If that if that's not going to screw up your cinnamon buns, there, Chris. I love <laughs> announcements. <laughs> All right, guys. Good night. All right. Well, thank you again, Ken, again. for everything you've done, and uh, I'll shake your hand when I get to see you sometime. Yeah. Well, there's a burger on your. There's a burger here with your name on it too. So that's true. Yeah. You got to eat it quick, though. Otherwise, it just gets all moldy. Well, well you know, my wife is there right now. And I unfortunately, I wasn't able to join her there. But she's in. Uh, she's up in Edmonton right now. But yeah, awesome. Anyway, good to talk right. to you guys. Have a great night. Thank you, you very well. much, Ken. Okay. Have a good night. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. That was that was incredible. And, and again, you never know what we're actually going to be talking about. We go down this one path and we always tell our guests, we just don't know where we're actually going to be talking, which, which path we're going to be on. And the next thing you know, we're talking politics. Isn't it amazing? I actually, how... I actually knew because I had this conversation with Ken the other day. I just forgot to tell you. Thanks. <laughs> but it, it's amazing how a lot of this stuff can be fixed with politics. And yet Canadians are so apathetic at this. Two to 3% of us have any inclination or own a, a membership into a, a political party and things need to change that way. Uh, you know, you Gary, know. I, I don't blame people for being the way they are. There's there's two main reasons. The first one is we, for the most part, we've been comfortable. Yeah. Over tax, yeah, but at the end of the day, whatever, it's just money. We've been comfortable. We've had good lives in Canada. That's very true. The yeah. second part is we've been let down by politicians and watched them bungle things up so many times for so many years. It's very easy to write it off as useless. But that uh, is the exact opposite of what we should be doing in this province uh, the UCP the governing party of this province dropped from 135,000 members that's to right 8,000 during the mandates and restrictions because that 120 or 115,000 people were pissed off what the party was doing and they yeah. left 8,000 people to govern yeah if we had done it the other way around and gotten involved and shown up um, for anything for any of these issues we can re we really can make differences so yeah. with that said what else should we be showing up for what else should we or is this your segue into this yeah. <laughs> well I, I that's not quite the way i was going to say it but i was going to say to chris uh you know we've got a we had a busy five or six weeks doing the uh, alberta prosperity project uh uh, ambassador tour. Now we've got a bit of a break for Christmas. We've got some things going on. We uh, at the Whistle Stop. I know you're doing uh, what? What is a, a turkey dinner on on Christmas Day? Christmas Day at the Whistle yeah. Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. We are putting on a free turkey dinner. Absolutely free turkey dinner. Yes, you heard that right. Free turkey dinner. I even advertised it in the newspaper this time because there's a lot of people that don't 
see what we announce on that Facebook. Awesome. And the yeah. idea is, um, you know, cr Christmas is a time to spend with your family. Yeah. Some of us aren't going to get to go and spend it with our, our blood relatives, but yeah. we've, uh, we've, we've gained a family that we never even realized we had over the course of the last four years. That's I gained true. a brother and Mr. Kerry Lambert over there. And, yeah. he and I sister. gained a sister in, in Mr. Yeah. Scott. That's right. Uh, so, so the idea is, I know there's people that aren't going to do a big turkey dinner with the family on Christmas, Christmas Day. I know there's people that actually can't afford to do that. But mm -hmm. the Whistle Stop Cafe and me and my staff, we believe that every person should have that. So we're doing it for free. It's not That's even awesome. a 5 or $10 thing. It's free. You come to the Whistle Stop and you will have turkey and you can eat as much as you want until we run out or you're full. And no way for thin minutes. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that's Christmas, and then uh, so what are you what are you doing like uh, for I don't know. Let's just pick a random date. What are you doing New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve, I'm going to go and get slightly impaired at the Baymont Inn in Red Deer, Alberta, and I'm going to sing the worst karaoke version of "It's Raining Men" that you've ever heard in your life. I'm I'm so looking forward to that. So that's our announcement. We are doing a New Year's Eve dinner and dance, and uh, yours truly will be DJ and uh, hosting karaoke. Uh, 6 p.m. cocktails, 7 p.m. dinner, midnight champagne, party favors, the whole nine yards at the Baymont uh, by Wyndham in Red Deer. And we chose that location because it's central Alberta, but we also chose it because... They've been really good to, I'll call it the freedom community. We've had a lot of events there and, uh, and, and, and nice it's just been really accommodating and they've got hotel rooms right there. So we were looking at other venues um, in, in terms of halls and this just made more sense for people to just, it's a one-stop shop. You just, you, you buy a ticket and if you want to get a room at the hotel, absolutely just do that. And, and just we encourage it. We party. actually encourage that. Get a yep, room. Absolutely. Stay the night. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. Like, yeah. just yeah. let's have some fun. This isn't a rally. It's not a political yeah. thing. It's just karaoke and New Year's yeah. Eve. That's right. And and what else have you got to do on New Year's Eve other than just come out and party with us? We may have a few special guests. We're still working on that, so we're not going to make any announcement there. Um, but it's at the Baymont by Wyndham and, uh, tickets are $125, uh, available at the Chris and I just posted Carrie. that. I know why it's so expensive. Why is it so expensive? What do we get for that? You know what? You get an amazing dinner. Actually, I'm going to go right to the uh, page. So if you're on the Chris and just click on the giant banner there. I haven't even tested this. So it jumps to Bibles and bolts. See, that's what I, oh. that's why I wanted to check on that. Because I hadn't done that. Uh, let's scroll down to the tickets. Where are the tickets? You know why? Because the tickets aren't live yet. I bet oh, you that's. No. Anyways, so they've got. Actually, I'm going to read it off the uh, the Facebook page if you don't mind. This is what happens when you go live and you and you were hoping to do something. We have, and I'm actually just going to post this like literally right now. Da -da 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 -da, da -da 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 -da. You get. Uh, the dinner, actually, you know what? I can't see it right now. Why is this? See, Chris, you put me on the spot here. And I don't know why it's not showing up on here. Oh, heavens. I can just karaoke it. Yeah. Anyways, you get a, you get a dinner, you get roast beef, you get, uh, 
uh, chicken. It's a full buffet, uh, coffee, tea, uh, all your potatoes, your your veggies, etc. You get all mints? your your yeah. You can get wafer thin mints at the very end. Perfect. You get uh, uh, the horns and the hats and uh, and uh, a big light show, big sound show. This is a big show. That's what you're going to get for that. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah. So, and and while we log off here, I'm going to make sure that everything works properly on the website. <laughs> That's what I do in the background here. So we'll, uh, we'll get that up and running so uh, people can log in and buy tickets. And the other thing I should uh, mention is we've limited it to 150 tickets, just 150. And uh, that gives us plenty of room for tables, for dancing, and uh, for just having a lot of fun there. And uh, great location. Uh, they've got uh, the uh, the breakfast. If you, if you book a hotel room, you get the breakfast in the morning as well. And um, yeah, it's it's just going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. And we were we were talking about this uh, about a month ago. What should we do for New Year's? And we finally pulled the trigger and and got it all worked out. So this is uh, what we're going to be doing. So come on yes, out so and uh, have some fun. Get your tickets early. Um, yeah. We want to fill that room. Well, I yeah. mean, we need to fill the room, of course. It's yeah. Not, yeah. not free to put these things on, but uh, the more the merrier, and it's going to be it's going to be a blast. I see a comment that someone is nine hours away. You know what? It's just nine hours. Come on out, grab a room, have some fun. It'll be worth. That's it. true. Yeah, nine hours. That would be. Uh, I'm going to say Regina Moose Jaw area from you. Would that be about right? Somewhere in there. I don't know. Maybe like uh, Abbotsford, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's or, uh, like maybe Okanagan. Great Falls? No, that's not nine hours. No, no, no. I don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Thanks for going central. Uh, there you go. Yes, and just a couple of comments here. Thanks for going central. It'll be tough to decide location. You know, we talked about doing something at the Whistle Stop, and again, it, it just came down to, that's great. We've got the campground there, but you're not going to be camping on December 31st. So, uh, you know, we need to find hotels in the area. Uh, Chris and I are going to build a hotel in Mir. It's going to be uh, 18 stories tall. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Mecca to stay in whenever you're in central Alberta, just stay in Mir. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should do something like that. Yeah. Uh, why not? I don't know why we're not doing it right now. We should be doing it now. <laughs> Building a giant hotel. Anyways, there you go. So, that's our announcement, and thank you so much for, for watching tonight. Uh, Ken uh, Drysdale from uh, the, the NCI National Citizens Inquiry. I started to read the National Citizens Inquiry, the, the 600 pages, so you can kind of leaf through, and, and especially like what uh, Ken said, just in terms of go to the points, uh, go to the, uh, the recommendations that, that most interest you. And, uh, and then, you know what? Digest that. And then go talk to your friends and talk to your relatives, talk to talk to your coworkers about the NCI. And again, because I was actually kind of shocked, especially in the last month or so, that people had not even heard of the NCI. And yeah, that's uh, wild. That's that that's kind of disturbing. Wild. And again, because it's not on mainstream media. So so we'll become your new media. Is that a beer? Man, no, I need a beer. It's my, I, need a uh, I was actually due for my paps to beer. Nice. Okay. I'm going to go and do that as well. And uh, I'm going to wish everybody a great night. And our, I think Chris and I may be doing a few more of these this week. Is that the oh, plan? Yeah. We actually, yeah. we've got way too many to do. And 
yeah, we're going to be, we have a whole bunch of guests coming on this week and so many that we're having trouble. Carrie's having trouble scheduling everything, but we'll get it done. And also I should mention for those of you that are going to come, which I'm hoping is all of you to our new year's bash. Uh, there is special rates at the hotel for uh, our patrons. So you just let them know that you're there for the Chris Carey show event and you will that's get right. a special rate on your room. That is true. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Uh, I lost where I was going to do. Oh yeah. Sounds like, sounds like a fun night. New Year's Eve party. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be great. We're going to party like it's 2024. <laughs> yeah. Well, get rid of 2023. Maybe we'll get rid of the hangover of 2020 and 2021. Oh, uh, there you go. Deb, right. I want to see you there. You better, you better show up. You better yep. show up. Yeah. It's not like you've never seen me do karaoke before. <laughs> All right. Do they accept dogs? I don't know. Do they accept dogs? Yes, they do. When we yeah. were at the Alberta Prosperity Project event, there was yeah. dogs on, on leashes, well-behaved yes. little dogs running around in the lobby. So I'm sure they do. And one thing we, we were actually talking about is, you know, this is going to be an adults only event just because it's too complicated to have kids come for breakfast or for, uh, for dinner, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a hotel. So you could leave the kids trapped in their hotel room watching Nickelodeon. Do they even have a Nickelodeon station anymore? I don't know. I don't even... What's on TV? I only know what's on the internet these days. I know. Watch, have them watch Disney, Disney Plus. I don't know. Have them watch uh, movies. Or, I don't even know. But uh, by all means, yeah, it's not a family-friendly event, although it could be. But uh, if you've never seen me do karaoke or heard me, <laughs> yeah, it's not Both normally a... Uh, of humor are fairly dry and also kind of a little bit. Speaking of uh, Chris, I actually sang your favorite song, the one you do all the time at every single karaoke. I did that on Saturday in memory of you. Was it Rocket Man? No, it was uh, Chocolate Salty Balls. Oh, that's a great song. A classic. Actually, that is a classic. It's like 20 years. It is absolutely. Yep. So there you go. If So if you want to come out and uh, listen to us uh, butcher Chocolate Salty Balls. Wow. <laughs> that would be wow. a great thing to do on New Year's Eve. Yeah, there. Yeah. Gotta love me some Isaac Hayes. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. And with that, you know what? I'm going to end off. I'm going to end off with uh, the Canadian Convoy song just because I like that. that. We we haven't. Yeah. Because it's all about me. Or do you want to do the other one? I don't know. It's 50 50. Well, how can they pick if they don't know what the other option is? Canadian Convoy song or other? Or other. other. Well, now we're going to wait for comments. We're going to wait for comments. That's not going to. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to, you know what? I'll play the other one just because Chris is, Chris is just like that. Fine. Fine, Chris. I'll do this one instead. Okay. You guys have a great night. Night. All right. Three, two.
So we're going to sing that too. Rocking in the free world. Yeah. We're going to do that New Year's right. Eve. I just fixed the website as far as I know. There it is. Go click on that New Year's Eve. That's where we get dinner. That's what the room looks like. We get buffet, roast beef, uh, roast street. bear and a beef, roast, roast beef, roast barons. Roast bear? <laughs> uh, salads, vegetables. Oh, yeah, you can't see it because I didn't post it to the page. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Amateur. There you go. So we'll go back. Chris Carey, blah, blah, blah. Click on that. There you go. There's the page. Join us for this. This is the food you get. Tickets available, that, blah, blah, blah. Click on there. That's all you need to know. Beauty. Good night. It still shows Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Have a good night. We'll talk to you later. Thanks.